Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this chance to worship you. You are our hope. All that we need and could ever hope for is in you. We love you, Lord. Speak to us now. In Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. Well, good morning, Calvary Church. How you doing? All right. Well, it is good to be with you. My name is Eric Wakeling, pastor here at Calvary Church. Um, you know, I wasn't always just the really cool guy that you see here today. Um, seventh grade, I ran for the seventh grade vice president. Now, I had really high hopes. Like, I just kind of thought, like, yeah, you know, I'll do this. I'll get it. It's like no big deal. Like, this is mine. I deserve this, right? That was my thing. But kind of forgetting that I was wearing a binator at the time, which was this sort of retainer that would hold your teeth together like this. And so I would talk like this all the time. It was a rough year, okay? Rough. Um, but at the same time, I kind of thought, like, I got this. This is, this is, I deserve this. This is mine. Also forgetting I was running against Sky Weaver. Classic hippie parent name, right? Sky Weaver. Now, um, Sky Weaver was, this guy was the coolest guy ever, but also was nice to everyone. Also the best surfer around, which where I grew up, San Clemente, Capo Beach, that mattered. Uh, best surfer, this guy, and I just got destroyed. And I was, you know, I, I mean, I don't know. I just assume I got destroyed, but I lost. And it was this just heart-wrenching, just, just total, just, 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 sadness just overwhelmed me in my life where I went from thinking this thing belonged to me, I deserve this, to just totally losing. And uh, it was a good, it was a growth period for me and kind of having to, you know, work on some things. But um, there's a group of people actually in this text we're going to look at today who think that something belongs to them and it doesn't. They think they deserve this thing, it's theirs, but it really doesn't, okay? It's not theirs. And this group of people, they're, they're called the Sanhedrin, okay? It's this group of people, these religious leaders, that they think all of this power, this control, this authority, it belongs to them when it actually belongs to God. And like our, we think about our life and the things that we own or that we deserve, and sometimes we think that we have the control over these things in our life. It could just be our whole life in general. It could be our, even our service to God. It could be our church. It could be our worship. That I, this belongs to me in some way. Or our happiness or our purpose in life. This is mine to control when really it belongs to God. And so let's, let's look into this text, and I'll tell you in a little bit of why in the world the sermon is titled, Give Him the Grapes, but we'll get there, okay? But you've got this, this group of people that are questioning the authority of Jesus. So Mark eleven twenty seven. Now, what has just happened before this, as you're turning there, what you have happening is that you have, um, Jesus has come into Jerusalem. Remember, this is the last week in Jesus's life before the whole Easter weekend, before his death and his resurrection. And in this week, he has come in and he's come into the temple and he's cast out the money changers and he's cast out these people selling doves and, and really say like, this can't happen in my father's house. And then they wonder what in the world, like why, like why should he be able to do this? What gives him the right? And so we get to verse 27. It says, They came again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him, 
Okay, so this group of people, chief priests, scribes, elders, this is this group of people that make up the Sanhedrin, which is this 70-member ruling council, okay, in, in Jerusalem at this time, in, in Israel, this Jewish ruling council. I kind of think of them as uh, almost like Congress and the Supreme Court at the same time, okay? That they, will, they get to rule on decisions. They're leaders, though, both in some ways politically, but religiously for sure. And they're, you know, when you think about Pharisees and Sadducees and these sorts, they're, they're not just one group. They're made up of all of these kinds of people. So this group, this Jewish ruling council, are some that would come and they say to him in verse 28, by what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do these things? Like, what in the world? What are you doing? This is our place. This belongs to us. We rule here. You don't. How dare you come in and come and try to express authority? What gives you the right? Because if you look back a little bit, just into 11 verse 18, it says up there, the chief priests and the scribes heard this, that Jesus was casting out these money changers, and they began seeking how to destroy him, for they were afraid of him. Okay? Okay. See that? For they were afraid of him. Because everybody's astonished at his teaching. They're afraid. And fear has a lot to do, I think, with this. And fear has a lot to do, I think, for us. When, you know, when we're losing control, when we're losing power or authority, or we're surrendering ourselves in some way, or when God tells us a way of living is different than the way we want to live, and we have to give ourselves over to that, fear can come in, and, and kind of holding on tightly can come in, and that's what's happening with these leaders. By what authority do you do these things? And verse 29, Jesus says to them, I love these kind of moments when Jesus, we're going to get some more of these like this weekend, next week, I think, and some weeks to come. Where he's like, I'll ask you one question. You know, they just ask him a question. He's like, I'll ask you a question. And you answer me, and then I'll tell you by what authority I do these things. He says, was the baptism of John, this is John the Baptist, was it from heaven or from men? Answer me. They began reasoning among themselves saying, oh, if we say from heaven, he'll say, then why did you not believe him? Uh, but shall we say for men? But they were afraid of the people, for everyone considered John to have been a real prophet. So answering Jesus, they say, we do not know. And Jesus said, well, nor will I tell you by what authority I do these things. And he just kind of calls them out on it. We get, uh, coming up, we'll get the whole, like, uh, uh, render to Caesar, some of the, this stuff. It's pretty cool. I love what, some of the way of Jesus' wit being played out in these moments. But uh, you'll see the way he will answer them in a moment. But you have these people questioning the authority of Jesus. And they question his authority because they believe that they are the ones that have the authority. They say, by what authority are you doing this? Who gave this to you? Kind of how dare you sort of moment. Um, I had this uh, moment where when I was uh, in high school, so I, I you know, I... I mean, these are like self-deprecating stories today. But uh, <laughs> in high school, I was kind of a punk kid sometimes. And I had a little bit of a sarcastic attitude. I played volleyball in high school. And, uh, and I remember like in our volleyball season, the way it would work is we, it's in the, the spring. And then when the season would be over, there would be like another month left of the school year you know, to go. And so what do we do during that time? Well, 
going to San Clemente High School and being near Capo Beach, which there's these Capo Beach volleyball courts. It's kind of like where a high level of volleyball is played. And so we would go, they would take us down to the beach for our PE or, or sports time every single day after school. And we'd go play beach volleyball and train down there. Now, there was a guy that trained there while we were there named Karch Karai. I don't know if you know anything about volleyball at all, but if you don't, I mean, most of you, who knows that name? Karch Karai. Okay, that's good. All right, I'm just wondering. Uh, I mean, he's like three-time gold medal winner, three-time college national championships, like one of the best beach volleyball players, probably the best to ever. Jump serving over and over. And then we'd be there, a bunch of these high school kids, messing around, supposed to be practicing. We didn't really care anymore. The season was over. We're at the beach. We just want to hang out. And uh, we're like, we're just sort of hanging on the net and doing stuff like that. That's like a faux pas, okay? To hang on the net is a definite sort of breach of volleyball etiquette, if you care about that. Um, But, um, you know, so we're doing that because we're lazy and we just are, I don't know, don't have good attitudes. And so as we're doing that, Karch Karai, the greatest volleyball player to ever live, is on the court next to us and yells over, Hey guys, quit hanging on the net. And I turn to him and say, (laughs) Who do you think you are, Karch Karai? (laughs) And all my friends laugh and he just shakes his head and walks away. And I was just such an idiot. Oh my gosh. I can't imagine the level of idiocy that took to say that. To this guy. It literally is like saying that to Michael Jordan if you're a basketball player. I mean, it is, that is what the moment was. And, but the thing is, is <laughs> Karch Karai to volleyball is Jesus as to the temple, okay? <laughs> if you want to turn that into an SAT test question. Like, it was the same sort of moment where if, like, me saying that to him, he has all the authority in that moment, but I'm questioning his authority and disrespecting him as this punk high school kid. Now, that is what's happening with these religious leaders. They think, you know, they are just questioning Jesus' authority in this temple where they have no idea that Jesus actually has all the authority in heaven and earth. He is the one that has all authority in that moment and yet they question him in this way. And, you know, Jesus has been displaying his authority throughout this biography that Mark is writing about Jesus. He's been doing it, and we've been talking about it even in these moments. We've talked about Jesus expressing his authority over disease, right? Over demons, the supernatural realm. Jesus, as he heals people, as he casts out demons, we see him express his authority over the the natural world as he multiplies food, as he calms storms, as he walks on water. We see him express authority over sin as he forgives the sins of the paralytic, as we see him even express authority over life and death itself as he raises a couple people up from the dead. So Jesus has been expressing authority. And so, you know, and they've been around. They've been watching this stuff. And so they say, by what authority do you do this? I think Jesus inside is thinking, I've shown you the authority. I've not just claimed authority. I have displayed my authority to you. And these guys are kind of bullies in some way, right? They're, they're bullies. And they're, their bark has been big, but without really any bite yet. 
But there's some bite that is going to be coming pretty much to the extreme level. But they're bullies because, as I said, they're afraid. And it talks about this a couple times in the scriptures of them being afraid, both just here in chapter 11 and chapter 12. I think often the biggest critics of Jesus even today, and that could be us at times, we're afraid. We're afraid of something. We're afraid of giving something up that we think belongs to us. We're afraid of surrendering control over our lives over to him. We're afraid of of really allowing, you know, really surrendering to Jesus. What would you have my life be about? Because I still, I want to kind of give it to you, Lord, but I want to hold on to most of it. Could I have like a a veto power, at least, over the things that you would want me to do with my life, where I can just at least say no to some of the really crazy stuff. I don't want to go to Bangladesh, you know, and and do all of that maybe with my life, you might be thinking. We have that. I think we're afraid at times to give up our control, to give up doing what we want, to give up even what we think that this thing of Christianity is supposed to be about when maybe God has even more for us. And so we, we're looking into this. What is going on with this fear What's going on with this control? What's going on with not being able to kind of surrender the authority of our lives over to Jesus as our Lord? And so as we see, Jesus has this incredible wit, and he doesn't really answer their question. But then he tells a story, and that's in 12.1. And this story is going to answer the question, okay? And this story is going to really slam these guys in some ways, but it's also going to show the love and grace that, of Jesus that's just over and over and over again of God to his people. So let's, let's check out this story. It says, he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard, put a wall around it, dug a vat under the wine press, and built a tower, and rented it out to vine growers, and went on a journey. Okay, so let's just pause there for a second to kind of get this a little bit. Like, you have this vineyard owner, this man, he plants a vineyard. And you got to remember, like, vineyards, too, in this time are these, these, this is a huge part of life. It's a huge part of everyday life of the vineyard with the winemaking process, as well as, like, olive oil and the olive oil making process. All of that are just huge parts of everyday life. And so you think about vineyards. I, I actually love vineyards. To me, they are one of the most beautiful places that you could think about on earth. So just a, a few pictures of some very, very famous, like a Napa vineyard here, a Bordeaux vineyard here, and a Champagne region vineyard here. I mean, these are beautiful. I think there's something to the, the combination of nature and then the symmetry, Right? Like when it comes together, it's this natural thing, but it's also the, the symmetry of the lines and all of that. And I don't know. It just, it catches me. I don't know if it, it catches you, but I love driving through like wine country and being able to see all of these. But what you have to also remember and understand is that it's not just this beautiful place, but it is a lot of hard work and investment that goes into the winemaking process. And so Jesus is saying, like, hey, look, this, this vineyard owner, he, he planted the vine, sure, but he also did a lot. He put a wall around it. He dug a vat under the wine press. He built a tower. And now he's rented it out. And there are these people that are kind of have a stewardship of the leadership of the vineyard. 
All right? So he's put this heavy investment into it of time and energy and money. And then he has rented it out to these vine growers and went on a journey. And it says, At the harvest time, he sent a slave to the vine growers in order to receive some of the produce of the vineyard from the vine growers. Give him the grapes. Okay? So he, get, he sends them to get the grapes. That's the produce, right? So he sends them to get the, the grapes. Verse 3. They took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Okay, all right. Well, we'll see what happens next. Verse 4. Again, he sent them another slave, and they wounded him in the head and treated him shamefully. He sent another, and that one they killed. And, with so, and so with many others, beating some and killing others. He had one more to send. A beloved son. He sent him last of all to them saying, they'll respect my son. But those vine growers said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him and the inheritance will be ours. They took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do, Jesus says? He will come and destroy the vine growers and will give the vineyard to others. Have you not even read this scripture? This is from Psalm 118. The stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone, speaking of himself. This came about from the Lord, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And their response in verse 12, they were seeking to seize him. And yet they feared the people. There's that fear again. They feared the people, for they understood that he spoke the parable against them. And so they left him and went away. All right, so you've got this story. You've got this story that Jesus tells. He's like, I won't answer your question, but I'll tell you a story. This story that will destroy all of your authority and everything that you stand upon. So here it is. Uh, here's just some elements of the parable for us to understand, right? If, you, if you're not picking up on it, the vineyard is Israel, okay? The vineyard is Israel, both as nation, but as God's chosen people, okay? This is God, these are God's people. He has chosen them. But he's, he's saying here, I've not just chosen them, I've invested in them, okay? I've invested my, my efforts, my time, my money, you know, as we, would, we think about that. That God has invested deeply into this chosen people. Because the owner is God the Father, all right, the owner of the vineyard is God the Father that is invested deeply into these people. And what he wants from them as he sends these, these slaves, these messengers to them, he wants them to show that they have, they have been bearing fruit, right? That they have fruit, that there are grapes. That's the fruit. And so have you produced good fruit? He sends them to them, and then um, those, those messengers, those are the prophets, okay? These, these slaves are the prophets. The vine growers are these religious and or sometimes it's both, are these religious and political leaders of Israel, all right? And so these religious leaders, which here in this time that, that Jesus is telling the story is this Sanhedrin, this 70-member Jewish ruling council and others, but he's speaking to them in this way of, I have sent my prophets to you. I have sent my prophets to the kings over the history of Israel. I've sent to you to say, you, you know, and to the chief priests, you are to bear fruit. 
You are to be living a life that honors me, that honors God, and then bears fruit for me. And what did they do? They rejected the prophets. They killed the prophets. All of that over and over and over again. And then he says, I'll send my son. The son of the owner is Jesus. I will send my beloved son. And then it says, because of your rejection even of him and killing him, I will give this over to others. So the others, you know, sometimes we think this could be the Gentiles, the, the, the not Jews, okay, of the world. And in some ways, yes. But I think it's also really more so about the leadership of the movement, the program of God in the world is going then from this, this group of religious Jewish leaders, this Sanhedrin, and is now going to the leadership under the apostles, okay, that will then under Christ go out and then just change everything, right? That, that is what is happening here. Those are the elements of the parable and their meaning. And so you see all of this uh, being told to them, and you think about, man, that's, that's a radical message as they're receiving this. Sometimes with parables, I wonder, or even Bible stories, kind of famous Old Testament, especially Bible stories, that we tend to kind of look for how do we identify with that story? How often do we identify and think of ourselves as the hero of the story or the one that's kind of, oh yeah, I'm, I'm with you, Jesus, we're calling them out. Or do we ever remember to maybe identify with the ones that are being called out? Because I think often we're probably not the hero of the story, okay? That Jesus is giving us this message as a warning at least. I wonder how much we would, how we would see Jesus if he came in the flesh today, right? If he came incarnate today and was kind of speaking to us as Christians in the world and to us as religious leaders, I'm always kind of like, these sort of stories kind of freak me out as a pastor. You know, like, how would I respond if Jesus was in the flesh today and starts saying, everything you're doing is wrong, do it this way? You know, you're like, no, it's mine. I'm doing it the way I want. You know, we kind of have a tantrum. It's like, these guys having a tantrum. But do we, are we able to see the way that Jesus would speak to us today and to hold loosely to our traditions and to hold firm to God's word? Um, one thing that's interesting, whether, I don't know if you know this or not, but this, this parable, Jesus is actually really doing a callback to a, a word of a prophet, Isaiah. Isaiah 5, if you want, you can turn there, but you can just listen. It's kind of interesting. Hear these words after hearing the story. Hear these words from Isaiah 5. He says, Let me sing now for my well-beloved, a song of my beloved concerning his vineyard. My well-beloved had a vineyard on a fertile hill. He dug it all around removed its stones, planted it with the choicest vine, and he built a tower in the middle of it, and also hewed out a wine vat in it. Then he expected it to produce good grapes, but it produced only worthless ones. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. Hear this, this is verse 4, hear this. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? Like, I have done everything for this vineyard. And that's what the prophet is saying. That's what Jesus is saying. God did everything for this vineyard. But they keep rejecting and rejecting. And you can read more and kind of dig more into that as you can. Because his everything that he would do for his vineyard included saying he had sent one more, a beloved son 
a beloved son. They will respect my son, he thought, right? This beloved son. We see even this term, beloved son, a couple times in the book of Mark. So Mark is kind of building this up. It's, it's what happened, but Mark, as he writes, kind of, he's a very dramatic writer, actually. And he's established in 1.11, he says, this, at Jesus' baptism, where a voice came out of the heavens, You are my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. And then on the Mount of Transfiguration in chapter 9, a cloud formed overshadowing them, and a voice came out of the cloud, this is my beloved son, listen to him. And then Jesus says, they'll send one more, a beloved son. Now he's just he's as blatant as he can be. And we know in John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Hear that very, very, very familiar passage, maybe with fresh ears today. That God gave his beloved son. And this is the way that he loves the world. That whoever believes in him, in that son, shall not perish, but have eternal life. And what, what you see in this act of God, of sending his son, of sending messenger after messenger after messenger, and then his beloved son, as I think you see this just relentless, radical love and grace of God to his people. He didn't just send one messenger, they reject the messenger, and then I cut you off. Fine, you don't want my, you know, you don't want my business, you don't want my words, then fine, you're cut off from me. No, he sends prophet after prophet after prophet with so many others that they kill that he even sends his son. And I want you to, to see and appreciate in the midst of this story that's calling them out, it's a story though that's also reminding them of the radical love and grace of God that is just going over and over and over again to help rescue his people. And that is his love. That is his love for his people that he would even send his son. And so the question is here for us today is simple. Do you reject or receive the son of the vineyard owner? Do you reject or receive him? And we receive him as Savior. We receive that free gift. It really is a free gift of salvation, okay? After that, we have to receive him then also as Lord, as leader of our lives. We have to receive his authority. Okay, we can't earn our salvation by submitting to his authority. He gives that to us as a free gift. We submit to him as Savior and Lord, though. He has to be the Lord and Savior of our lives. And we have to not just, we have a choice here to reject him and his authority as much as we can reject the free gift of his salvation. That Jesus has come to offer us that free gift, but he doesn't want to just give you a present and leave, okay? He wants to be the Lord and the leader of your life, and that is what he deserves. Who gave him that authority? Himself. He's God. God has the authority that deserves for us to follow, to submit ourselves. But here's, it's, it gets into that whole thing where we are... <laughs> We think we're in charge, right? We think that we're in charge of our life or we're afraid even of surrendering that authority over to God. And even, as I've said, that could be that you've surrendered a portion, but you're holding on to something for yourself. And so maybe 
for you, like these religious leaders, you want to hold on to that control. Or maybe it's fear like they had, and you're afraid to fully give him over that control. And so you reject the authority of Jesus as Lord of your life. What I hope for you is today that you receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, and you receive his authority, that you can trust in him, you trust in that persistent love and grace that he offers over to you. And so I want to, I want you to consider your life in this moment. To consider where you are in the midst of all of this, of have you surrendered your life over to the Lord? Have you rejected, though, his authority in your life fully? I want you to receive that authority in your life because Jesus has the best life for you when you live it under his authority. It's the most safe place that you can be while also being the most terrifying place that you can be. And so I want to ask you today to consider, am I holding on? Am I holding on to something to kind of keep from you, Lord? Maybe it's the way that I I view what my, my world is and my relation to you, God, that I kind of control my Monday through Friday and I'll give you a Sunday morning, okay? Maybe that's the world that you're living in. Maybe you've never even surrendered to Christ at all as Savior or Lord. And you want to just surrender yourself to him fully today and receive that beautiful free gift of salvation. Maybe you have a a view of Christianity that's about power and control and authority and political authority, kind of like these guys. These guys were, their, their whole view of what following God was, was about them being in charge. It was about the world working the way they said the world is supposed to work. And maybe God has a message for you today that's maybe the world is supposed to work a lot differently than what you think the right answers are. I don't know. I don't know where you're coming from today. But I want to encourage you today that the Holy Spirit would just minister deep down to you and you could begin to surrender your control to him. So um, we're going to move into a time of worship and stations. We have these stations around the room where you can come and you can take communion and remember what Christ has done uh, on the cross for us. We also have these prayer points on both ends. I want to ask you, To come forward, you can come forward for prayer for any kind of need you might have in your life, for anything going on. But to come forward for prayer, to say, Jesus, I want to surrender my life fully to you as Lord and Savior. I want to be under your authority. Maybe that's something that you need to do to let go of what you're holding on to today. Even if maybe it's you come and you've never surrendered your life to God ever at all. And you want to say, today I want to become a follower of Jesus. Come forward, we want to pray with you. We want to help you along the way. So let me pray for us. After that, we'll stand and worship. Let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this moment here, Lord. I pray that in this moment of time when we have to, Lord, to worship you, to sing to you, but to consider, Lord, what is our life really about? Who is the Lord of our life? Is it me or is it you, God? So I pray today in this moment that we would surrender our lives fully to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.